Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Priya David Clemens. A mere two milligrams of fentanyl can kill you. That's just a fraction of what would be lethal for heroin, and there's a lot of it around. The San Francisco Police Department predicts it'll seize twice the amount of fentanyl this year compared with 2020. We talk with the new director of San Francisco Behavioral Health, Dr. Hillary Cunnins, about what needs to be done to address the surging overdose crisis in San Francisco. Then at 940, we'll talk about the CDC's new guidelines for outdoor mask use. That's next on Forum, right after this news. Hello and welcome to Forum. I'm Priya David Clemens. An estimated two people die of drug overdoses every day in San Francisco, with signs the overdose rates are growing. Last year, 713 people died of overdoses in San Francisco, more than twice as many as the year before. The pandemic has only aggravated the crisis, as people who need help have been isolated from their communities and services. The work of pushing back this tide of fatal addiction falls to Dr. Hillary Cunnins, San Francisco's new director of behavioral health services. Dr. Cunnins joins us now to share her approach in serving the city's residents who have substance abuse, mental health and housing needs. Welcome, Dr. Hillary Cunnins. Thanks so much. Uh, It's terrific to be here. Thank you for having me on your show. You arrived not too long ago from New York City, and you've been known as an addiction medicine expert. How did your journey in this work begin? Uh, Thanks for this question. And and yes, I'm a recent San Franciscan. I arrived five weeks ago and started here at the health department about four weeks ago. So I am very much uh, thrilled to be here and excited to be speaking with a wonderful team and so many San Franciscans who have been working hard on this problem for many years. Uh, for many years. I'm a um, physician, as you mentioned, I'm trained in primary care medicine and addiction medicine. And I spent much of my career in New York City uh, caring for folks, both in uh, primary care Settings and addiction medicine. And I want to make that even a little bit more um, personal. I understand that early on you ran a methadone clinic in New York um, and that that really impacted your your views on, on this 
uh, entire sort of spectrum of addiction and care. Uh, yes, that's that's correct. My my first professional job uh, was medical director of one of the methadone maintenance programs in the Bronx that was run by Albert Einstein College of Medicine and uh, Montefiore Medical Center. And there I joined that program to set up primary care services uh, and HIV and hepatitis C services and was really drawn to the field of addiction medicine uh, partly because the wonderful patients I met there who were kind enough and trusting enough to share their life stories with me, to allow me to help uh, provide uh, opportunities for better health outcomes. And like being uh, a general doctor in other settings, I was a small town doctor taking care of a relatively small group of patients, both in the hospital and in the clinic. And it was an extraordinary time for me professionally and is what drew me and has kept me in the field of addiction medicine. And from that time, was there something you saw that was working? Were there life-changing moments that gave you hope that people can get better and do get better? I think during that time, I uh, was inspired, in fact, by how much hope and recovery I saw. I think often uh, the public uh, and the media uh, don't always show the hopeful stories about recovery. I saw patients, uh, and I journeyed with many of my patients as they turned their lives around, as they got uh, control of their HIV, as they cured their hepatitis C, as they controlled their diabetes and high blood pressure. And many of them stopped or reduced the use of illicit drugs. The cornerstone of that treatment uh, in methadone is, of course, the methadone medication itself, which has been shown in research study after research study to be life-saving, uh, to improve people's quality of life and allow them to do other kinds of work to promote recovery, whether it's therapy, whether it's primary care, whether it's restoring relationships with their friends and family. And it was, um, I don't, I don't, I'm not overstating this. It was inspiring and set my career on the course it has since taken. And you are joining us from New York after having implemented and grown the uh, an, an initiative in New York City to stem substance abuse and to get help for people. Now, New York does also have high overdose rates. And since that program uh, went into place in New York, the number of overdose deaths has plateaued, except for this past year where it's grown a little bit, you know, at about 1,400 deaths per year, between 1,400 and 1,500 deaths per year. The numbers didn't drop. Um, and I think many people who see the problems that we're facing here in San Francisco are hopeful that the numbers won't get stuck where they are right now with hundreds of people dying from overdoses every year. So what are the lessons that you've learned there that you're bringing here to San Francisco to not just have these overdose deaths stop growing, but to actually make them decline? 
Absolutely. And I, I want to, you know, remind your listeners and I remind myself that every death is the loss of not only that person, a life cut short, but also loved ones are left behind, friends, family members. Every person who dies is a daughter or son or parent. And that is uh, what inspires me to to really focus on, as you're pointing out, uh, this epidemic and thinking about it as an epidemic we can turn around and we can drive numbers down. The challenges are, are tough, no doubt. I don't want to undersell that and know that that was a challenge for us in New York. And in particular, the context of uh, fentanyl entering the, the market um, has, has really posed new challenges. Uh, the crisis in New York allowed us to deeply think about the strategies we had been using to expand some of them, to try new ones. Uh, certainly the COVID pandemic uh, caused many changes that, uh, that none of us were anticipating. And, and again, should encourage all of us in the field uh, as well as in, in related fields uh, to think deeply about what new work we can do. So let's get a little specific here. What is fentanyl and why is it so dangerous? So uh, I think most of your listeners will know and have read that fentanyl is an opioid. It's what's called a synthetic that is made in a lab opioid. It sticks to the same places in, in a person's brain, uh, receptors that, that other opioids do, but it is more potent than many other op opioids, including heroin. So it's about 50 times more potent than heroin. And that means it can cause somebody to stop breathing and have an overdose and either recover from that overdose or unfortunately die from that overdose because it prevents the person from getting air, getting oxygen. It's also very fast acting. So for example, somebody who might be using another opioid, heroin for example, and has some fentanyl mixed in their drug or they sought out fentanyl they are, may not be used to how potent it is, may use more than they expected, either intentionally or unintentionally. And that is what ca can cause the overdose. Um, Thomas Fuller with the New York Times recently wrote that San Francisco's overdose death rate, to put it into some context, is higher than that of West Virginia and three times the rates of New York and Los Angeles. And according to the city medical examiner's office, the number of overdose deaths in the city has tripled in the last three years. What's going on here in San Francisco? How can this be? Uh, so this is obviously a really serious uh, problem and challenge. And I think what we're seeing here in San Francisco, like we saw in some jurisdictions in other parts of the country that had fentanyl arrive a bit earlier, is the entry of fentanyl to this uh, market in San Francisco has really driven overdose rates up. The other thing that I've observed and, and learned is that in methamphetamine use, whether alone or in combination with other substances, is also increasing overdose here in San Francisco. Um, I think that there is extraordinary lessons from other parts of the country contending with fentanyl. 
and have seen, as you point out, plateaus or decreases. I'll also, Priya, just point out that we are really, uh, for your listeners, thinking broadly in what the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, has described as a three-phase epidemic of overdose. The first phase was increases in opioid from uh, prescription pain pills, the second phase from heroin, and we're now in a a third phase with the entry of fentanyl. Hmm. I feel confident uh, that we can turn this around. I, there are so many strengths here in San Francisco, early adoption from community members and important uh, advocates and activists who brought naloxone here to this city, that brought syringe access here to this city, that brought and, and continues to have effective treatment here in this city. And I think that strengthening the continuum of these approaches, as well as adding new ones, will position San Francisco well for tackling this crisis. I'm going to ask you to think about this next question, and we'll pick it up again after the break. Um, but, you know, critics of the city's approach, including Supervisor Matt Haney and many people who work with agencies who are helping to stop overdoses or to help people with substance abuse problems, many of those people say the city has not come up with successful overdose prevention strategies. And I want to know how you respond to that and what you're planning to change. Uh, But first, we're going to go to a quick break. We are talking about rising drug overdose deaths in San Francisco with Dr. Hillary Cunnins, the Director of Behavioral Health Services with the San Francisco Department of Public Health. What are your questions about overdose deaths and how the city is tackling the crisis? Give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. And stick with us. We'll be back just after this break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. We're talking about rising drug overdose deaths in San Francisco with Dr. Hillary Cunnins, the Director of Behavioral Health Services with the San Francisco Department of Public Health. Just before we went into the break, Dr. Cunnins, we were talking about the criticisms of the city's approach, which many have said have been disjointed and have not come up with successful overdose prevention strategies. What are you going to change? Well, um, First of all, I, I, I do want to kind of uh, shift to the fact that so much is going right. And I think sure. what I'd like to point out is that had the things in place not been in place, it is possible we would have even seen worse death rates. And mm. so I really want to acknowledge how much effective is happening here, uh, while at the same time considering new approaches. So what are a couple of those things? If you could just list for us maybe, you know, two or three or four uh, solutions that you think have been really effective and have stemmed the tide so far. Absolutely. So um, 
uh, one thing which I've already mentioned, which is uh, naloxone distribution. And I, I want to really point out to your listeners that when we give out naloxone, it is also accompanied by training and education. So and naloxone, for those of you who may be a little bit less familiar, is a medicine that can be put into a person's nose to, reduce, to reverse an overdose. Another thing that has been happening, uh, which as you, uh, for many years is a program called Street Medicine, which during the pandemic has provided access to effective treatment for people with opioid use disorders using a medication, which you might be aware of called buprenorphine. Like methadone, buprenorphine is a highly effective medication to help people reduce or stop their use of opioids and prevents overdose. So that is an important strategy that we hope to build more on, which is bringing treatment to people and for for it to be available when they are ready. Another uh, uh, intervention that just got uh, announced uh, by the signing of a lease last week by Mayor Breed is a drug sobering center. The Drug Sobering Center is a place that people can go after or while they're intoxicated. Uh, you might, um, it was a rec- part of a recommendation from the city's methamphetamine task force. And it is also another opportunity to engage people and link them to further care. So and I know in general also you do support uh, harm reduction strategies, which would include things like clean needles, foils, safe injection sites. Absolutely. And, you know, I, from my many years of work in New York City, uh, I know that sometimes uh, harm reduction and treatment gets sort of pitted against each other, where harm reduction is characterized as giving permission and treatment is uh, really telling people to stop using. And the way I think about it is really, this is a continuum of care for people. What characterizes addiction sometimes is that people uh, may not be ready to stop using at any particular point in time. And so our job as health professionals is to treat people with dignity and respect and help motivate them to make behavior change in ways that they're interested in. It may be working on their blood pressure. It may be getting help for their depression, and it may be stopping their use of drugs. So the principles of harm reduction, which I think often get referred to as meeting people where they're at, is not in opposition to treatment or opposition into the rest of the important things we can do to help people improve their health. And I appreciate you laying that groundwork of what is going right, um, what we what you see as programs that are taking the appropriate steps. I do now want to get into what you're planning to change, what you're planning to work on now that you're here. And I think we might start with a caller um, who his name is John, and he has some questions about what's going to be different in San Francisco. So let's listen to caller John and then get into that uh, that piece of this question. John, you're on the air. Oh, thank you so much. Dr. Hillary, I appreciate your um, assessment of what is already in place. And what's already in place has resulted in the statistics and 
the treatment options that you've so eloquently stated have already existed. I've lived in San Francisco now for 30 years. I've been sober for 17. So the two questions I have for you is, A, what specifically is going to be different? And B, do any people that are part of the decision-making process, not consultants, but decision-makers, are they sober and are they sober from fentanyl and heroin? It's been deeply distressing to hear things like, well, we want to give them a choice or we want to find out what their preferences are in getting sober. I didn't get sober because people were concerned about my preferences. I got sober because I got my ass kicked. So what specifically is going to be different? John, thank you so much. So um, a couple parts there. What is going to be specifically different? And then a question about sort of individual rights and freedoms versus how society helps handle these problems, individuals who need help. Thanks for the question, John. And, you know, huge kudos to you for your sobriety. And thank you for sharing that. It's so important for people uh, to speak out. Um, what's going to be different? I think there's, and, and part of why I was drawn to come work in San Francisco is there's such enormous opportunity here. The investments uh, uh, being made under Mental Health SF really uh, are looking to address so many of the upstream uh, causes of substance use and addiction, housing and housing stability, um, mental health challenges, whether trauma, whether uh, depression, uh, thinking about the whole person is also a way to address addiction and many of the supports, including housing and including really doing a better job connecting and keeping people connected to care, not passively waiting for them to come into care, but helping to coordinate and make sure that people are, um, are, are kept in care, whether for their mental health issues, whether for housing, whether for their addiction itself. These are, I think, the opportunities that Mental Health SF is creating and that I am very excited to implement. I think the other point, John, and, and certainly I have, uh, you know, you're, you're making a really important point, which is some people reach recovery uh, uh, because they, um, uh, I don't remember your exact phrase, get their butt kicked. And I think what I have learned over these years is that people reach recovery in a number of different ways. And one's, one person's journey could be different than another. And we want to leave room for that. So I uh, hear that what your route was by not being given a choice um, and and that part of what got you ready was was maybe experiencing some serious consequences from your substance use. And, and I think that's, you know, thank you for sharing that. And, and, and that's not, not part of the package, but we can have multiple strategies in place and they don't have to fight each other in my view. Let me bring up one specific um, topic that is a little bit of a, you know, political hot potato, Dr. Cunnins, um, conservatorship. And that program to help people who are mentally ill or suffering with substance abuse, living on San Francisco's streets, um, and are a harm to themselves or others often, um, they would be placed into court-ordered treatment um, through the laws under conservatorship that have been implemented in San Francisco. What are your thoughts on that program? 
So I know that in um, in many communities, and certainly this was a conversation in New York City, is how do we best help people stay safe, right, from either their own um, health issues uh, or from another member of the public. I just want everyone to really be aware that people with serious mental illness are far more likely to be the victims of a crime than the committers of a crime. And so part of the work of conservatorship is helping people themselves stay safe uh, um, and, and achieve their health goals. It's an important part of, of our continuum of care and we, we are using it and thinking and, and using it where needed uh, but it can't stand alone, as as I know you know and our listeners know, and it is really part of the spectrum of services and approach that we take. We have several more callers on the line, but before we get there, I do really want to hear from you laying out where you see your work being most effective to change the system we have now and to improve it for the future. Uh, thanks for that question, Priya, and and this is what is so exciting about about being here. I hope to bring my experiences as a clinician and doctor, um, as well as a public health official, uh, to really think about broadly about uh, the health of all San Franciscans, whether they are using our services. Or, or not, how to pull people into care, how to provide the highest quality care that works for individuals, that is coordinated and not fragmented into different uh, settings or different uh, amongst different service providers. I also wanna just highlight an important part of my work in New York, and I know it is already happening here in our street crisis team response, as well as other places, is the importance of uh, peer workers or people, as we say, with lived experience being part of teams that deliver care. Uh, Having people who have themselves gone through the situation or situations is so important in engaging folks in changing behavior and and helping them get to better health. So, um, Dr. Cunnins, you've spoken about uh, peer support, and it sounds like you've spoken about uh, bringing some integration to the various programs. Are those your two main items that you're focusing on in order to reduce this drug overdose crisis? Yes, and then lastly, um, I'll just mention this idea about removing barriers to getting into care. Often we in healthcare uh, set up complicated systems that are tough to access, um, and that is true in every healthcare system I've worked in, and we all need to do a better job. And so part of Mental Health SF and part of the work that I hope to do here is looking carefully at every juncture for ways that we can remove barriers to really smooth the way for people to get the care that they want and need. Dr. Cunnins, what do you see as a measure of success that is fair for us to consider your work by in a year or three years or five years? Next year, if there is the same number of deaths, 713 this year, should we consider the city as having addressed this issue successfully? Well, I'd like to say that we're aiming to re- to reduce and stop overdose deaths. 
I think early success would be seeing a plateau, in fact, as we saw uh, in New York. And I think uh, knowing sometimes how, how difficult it can be to turn things around at a big population level, that would be a success uh, in, in my view. I think also uh, having San Franciscans who need mental health care and addiction care uh, receiving the care they need would be another measure of my success and our success collectively, both in the health department, in the administration, as well as uh, all community members. Um, so we're going to work super hard to do that. And I look forward to really meeting with so many San Franciscans to hear about other strategies that people may have in mind. So we have a number of questions and comments that are about the easy access to drugs here in San Francisco. Let's start with Dara. Dara, you're on the phone now. Thank you. Could you um, please share your thoughts? Oh, it looks like that's a comment. So Dara asked, what is being done to curb the flow of these drugs to the market? And is it the dealers or the companies that make the drugs? And here's another one from Jurgis. Here's a novel strategy. Arrest the drug dealers. You can see them in the Civic Center marketplace. They dress alike. They are organized. San Francisco does not want to enforce the law for the good of the populace. It seems like a cheaper solution, does it not? So these are obviously both questions that go to this, uh, the heart of this, um, you know, wondering of how much law enforcement should be involved. Yes, and you know this is this goes to the heart of the conversations that have been happening over the last several years nationally and certainly um, in so many cities across the country. So first, just a, a fact is the fentanyl that's being introduced into the market is is being made illicitly, uh, not by com- not by pharmaceutical companies. Some of you may know that fentanyl is also a very effective pain medication and is also produced and an important part of our uh, uh, pain medicine, uh, particularly for folks with terminal illness or with cancers. So this is a different fentanyl being made illicitly. Go ahead, please. Sure. And, and to the second part of the question, Um, I think that for many years, our main drug policy was one to... Hi, this is Monica. Hello. Um, Apologies, Dr. Cunnins. Please continue. Um, We, um, a main part of the strategy nationally was, in fact, to to attempt to arrest and the sort of uh, phrase, the catchphrase became... Uh, we can't arrest our way out of the problem. So what we have learned from the last several decades of what has become known as the drug war uh, with an attempt to try to interrupt the drug supply without really robust treatment and robust access to care is that we are destined to fail. We've had a strategy for the last uh, many decades to interrupt the drug supply, and yet we have been facing an overdose epidemic for the last decade. So uh, we need to make it easier for people to get treatment and get help than it is to get drugs, and that's what public health approach is. Uh, We also want to partner with law enforcement so that people who may be part of the drug market, who may themselves have an addiction, uh, can be offered treatment and offered other ways of 
of economics uh, sustenance. And we have just one uh, last caller, Brian. We have just a couple minutes before we go to the break. Brian, do you have a question? Yeah, so I, I'm an organizer and homeless advocate, and uh, I, I see the effects of, of forced displacement on our uh, homeless population daily. And often the first thing people will say to me is, they threw my Narcan away. They threw my gear away. And so we're forcibly displacing people every day. That's one of our most common interventions with a subset of drug users who are unhoused. So while we have the world's I really, truly believe we have the world's best public health doctors. We have the world's best community health uh, department uh, or uh, branch at public health. We're going around and we're taking the very same life-saving gear that we're giving these people away on a daily basis. And I'd like to hear what Dr. Kunis thinks about that. Dr. Kunis, we have uh, about 30 seconds for your response, please. Well, thanks for that last comment. And I think um, it's, as we know, it's really important to continue to keep people uh, with their naloxone. And and I appreciate hearing that that feedback as, as something to, to take up on. Dr. Cunnins, thank you for your time. Thanks for joining us here on Forum and welcome to San Francisco. We wish you well. Thanks so much. I look forward to further conversation. We've been talking with Dr. Hillary Cunnins, the new Director of Behavioral Health Services with the San Francisco Department of Public Health. When we come back, we have another doctor to talk to. Dr. Monica Gandhi is going to be joining us to discuss the new uh, rules around wearing masks and what you should be thinking as you get vaccinated and go out into the public once again. Stay with us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now. 